This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Parents of young children can't watch over them 24 hours a day with activities such as sports and summer camp. What safeguards can be set up to ensure your kids are kept safe from predators? These pedophiles don't look like a certain type. It's often the person who seems to be really nice. The kids like them. If you're looking for a profile that does not exist. Then, how is it some people struggle to find true wealth, while others do not? We'll talk to an expert. Being wealthy is not about the amount of money you earn. It's about the choices and decisions you make that give you security. That's really going to determine what side of the thin green line we're on. Those two stories and much more are coming your way on this week's Info Track. Stay with us. The show begins right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Concerned parents who want to safeguard their kids from predators face a dilemma when it comes to sending young ones off to activities such as sports and summer camp. Will their children be safe from abuse? InfoTrack's Roy Mackey tracked down an expert to bring you the story. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is attorney Norman Bates. He's an expert on the topic of the prevention of sexual violence against children and the co-author of a book called Preventing Child Sexual Abuse in Youth Serving Organizations, Guidelines for Managers and Parents. Mr. Bates, welcome to InfoTrack. Oh, thank you. I'm pleased to be on the show. How serious of a problem is sexual abuse against kids today? Well, that's a loaded question because there's a qualitative answer and a quantitative to get to the point. We don't really know how extensive the problem is because one of the issues we've discovered is that the crime is often underreported. It's not unusual for a person who's been a victim of that crime to report it 10 years after it happened, especially in light of the fact that a lot of the kids are young. You know, they could be as young as four or five years old or maybe 10 or 12. On a qualitative standpoint, without a doubt, and I've worked on hundreds of rape and murder cases in my career, I think it is the most insidious crime because it it just destroys life. It's just horrible. Now, your focus in, in what you've written is youth-serving organizations. Can you give us just an example of the kinds of organizations that can potentially have problems? Well, it can include a pretty wide range. I mean, the obvious would be things like the Boy Scouts and the YMCAs and Boys and Girls Clubs and those kind of facilities. But it also includes things like summer camps, something like the karate instructor or, or, or judo or something along that line where the kids are working with these instructors on a one-to-one basis, after-school sports programs, little league, soccer coach, anything that deals with kids where there's adult interaction with kids, you know, ranging in age from five on up. Daycare centers are part of it too, but our focus is a little bit more on the organization where there's a lot of interaction between adults and kids. I think in this day and age, most parents would just automatically assume that these kinds of organizations that you just described would have all kinds of safeguards in place, but that's not necessarily the case. No, it's not, unfortunately. You know, even even with the best of intentions, you could take a large organization, you know, like the Boy Scouts, and not to pick on them, but just as an example, they may have lots of good policies and procedures in place to deal with the supervision of adults and to prohibit one-on-one contact alone with a child. But you've got so many, you know, Boy Scout troops, or, you know, if you could use other examples, 
it's up to the quality of the management, if you will, at the local level that's ultimately critical. Are the greater targets of these kinds of predators in these organizations boys or girls, or is it essentially equal? We researched these issues, and I think we found a slightly higher percentage of female victims versus male. But again, because these things are so often not reported or underreported or reported years later, we can't say absolutely for sure. I can say with a certain degree of comfort that the vast majority of the offenders, the predators, are male. There's very few that you run into with the female a pedophile. There is something called grooming that you write about. It's a technique that's used by sexual predators. Just explain what that term is for people who are not familiar with it. Well, it just means that they are, over a period of time, getting to know the child and different contact with them. They could you know, range from emotional coercion to something as subtle as giving the child a ride home or giving them gifts. So over a period of time, but it's not something that happens overnight. It can happen over a period of weeks, months, maybe even years. Our guest on InfoTrack is attorney Norman Bates. He is an expert on the prevention of sexual violence against children and the co-author of Preventing Child Sexual Abuse in Youth-Serving Organizations, Guidelines for Managers and Parents. So, Norman, a parent is sending a child off to summer camp. How can they minimize the risk of child abuse in a camp setting? Well, I think two critical things. First of all, you have to talk to your child. I know it's one of the most sensitive subjects that you'd have to deal with. I'm a parent, but my kids are are all grown now. I do have a grandchild, and I certainly worry about him. But you've got to have a conversation with your kid about what is inappropriate conversation or inappropriate touching by, you know, the camp counselor or even an older teenage child so that your child feels comfortable to, in turn, report that to you as the parent. And as a parent, you can then follow through and have some kind of investigation conducted. The other half of it is talking to the people who manage that program, whether it's a summer camp or otherwise, and asking them how they screen, how they do background checks on both the employees and the volunteers. You don't want to forget the volunteers. Even though they're not paid, they're still potentially at risk. And also how they supervise, what their roles are with respect to the one-on-one contact with the child and seeing if they're tied into it. Do they train their staff, for example, to recognize that some other staff member might be engaging in inappropriate behavior? And by the way, it is against the law in most states for an employee to not report suspected child sexual abuse. That is a criminal code event that if you don't report it, you could be facing jail time yourself. Many youth organizations conduct background checks. Can you just talk about the value of those, and do they make a big difference? Yeah, I think the big issue with background checks is certainly making sure that the employee or and or volunteer knows you're going to do a background check. That fact alone may discourage them from applying for the job, so it could have that potential deterrent effect. The other issue, of course, is actually doing criminal history check and looking for convictions. They may be child sex offense related or some other crime, a violent crime, that you wouldn't want to hire that person to work with young kids either. The biggest problem is that if you do a criminal history check on someone in the state where you're located, unless you have, through unusual circumstances, access to the FBI's database, you're only going to get what happened in that state. So here in Massachusetts, only gives you Massachusetts, doesn't give you anything else but that one state. So I always caution employers that when you're doing a background check, you know, if that person comes from another state, that you want to check that state as well, just to cover your bases. 
I think perhaps the saddest part of all of this is that when it does occur, many times kids are afraid to say anything, and it haunts them for years, and the predator continues to prey on other kids. Yeah, that's it, and that's one of the harsh realities here, that this person doesn't get prosecuted. They don't have a criminal history that could be discovered, so they continue to be employed, and they continue to offend and just cause severe damage to these kids. We've seen plenty in the news about men in their 40s and 50s and, and so forth who are still dealing with the effects of child sexual abuse as a result of the Catholic Church incidents that have come to service during the last 20 years. If you could point out one misconception that parents have regarding this whole topic of child sexual abuse, what would it be? There's no such thing as a profile of an offender or a profile of a child. These pedophiles don't look like a certain type it's often the person who seems to be really nice. The kids like them and all that stuff. So, yeah, if you're looking for a profile that does not exist, I think that's probably the biggest misconception. Norman Bates, attorney and co-author of Preventing Child Sexual Abuse in Youth-Serving Organizations, Guidelines for Managers and Parents. Norman, do you have a website where people can learn more? Yeah, we sure do. LiabilityConsultants.com Well, thank you again for joining us on InfoTrack. I appreciate the opportunity. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. Next, wish you were wealthy? Stop wishing and learn the money secrets of the super wealthy. Straight ahead. There's more InfoTrack coming up. Stay tuned.